Awesome, awesome. If, uh, if this is your first time here or if I haven't met you, my name is Matt Cordova. I get the privilege and the honor of leading our youth students here at the city. We've got an awesome youth group. There's been a lot of camps going on. You guys saw the video for Kids Camp. Kids Camp was crazy. It was a lot of fun. There's a lot of yelling that I've learned that goes on with Kids Camp, you know what I mean? But it's a lot of fun. If you can get them amped up and yelling their, their team colors, it, it makes it a whole lot of fun. And then for us, we just got back from youth camp two weeks ago, so I'm still recovering. I'm at like 35%, you know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we went to youth camp. Youth camp was an awesome experience. Um, I remember being there and texting my wife one night and say, hey, everything that I prayed for for our students over the last year is happening. You know, I've prayed for our students to worship freely, and I saw our kids, like, just raise their hands, like, unashamedly during worship. I prayed for our, our students to grow closer, and they, like, ran like a pack, like a wolf pack. It's kind of crazy. They, they're dangerous together. Just let me throw that out there. Um, I prayed. Um, one of the biggest ones was that God's presence wouldn't be something that we read about, but something that they actually felt. And many of them, like there was one night where they had felt the Lord's presence so heavily that they just started confessing their sins. Like nobody told them to, but they just felt the Lord. They're like, hey, this is what's going on. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. So kind of a theme that was at camp was that God did it. I mean, God showed up. And how many of you know that there's a way to say God did it without actually saying it? I'm going to teach you. You go like this. You go. So God showed up, God had done it. Um, so if you're here, uh, we are going to be back in the book of Luke. It's your first time we've been going through the book of Luke verse by verse. And we are in what's known as Holy Week. What that means is this is the last week of Jesus's life. We're very li literally going to look at the last day. Like this is, we're going to look at Thursday into today's text. And just for me, like reading this, it's kind of been amazing to see all of the pieces fall into place. You mean they're like all of the, like the specifics that had to happen in, in order for all the prophecies to fall. Like it's, it's been uh, awesome. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. If you don't, um, I encourage you to download our app, the City Church Lubbock. You can get in your app store. We have notes where verses are there. There's fill in the blanks. Uh, it'll be up on the Sky Bible uh, behind me. We say this in youth, uh, that note takers are world changers. Note takers are world changers. Most of the time, if you just listen to it, you're going to forget it by tomorrow. But if you can write it down, you're more likely to remember. If you go tell somebody about it, you're even more likely to remember it. So here's some background info. We're in Holy Week, right? So it starts off as the, uh, the Sunday before the cross. Jesus goes riding into town on a donkey. We know this as the triumphant entry, right? He comes in as a king. On Monday, things get a little crazy. Jesus goes into the temple. He starts flipping tables. So it's, the way to view Monday or Sunday and Monday is on Sunday, Jesus rides in as a king. On Monday, Jesus exercises the authority of a king. Does that make sense? So on Tuesday, what ends up happening is Jesus avoids a couple traps. They try to trap him politically. Well, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus answers it perfectly. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. And they try to trap him theologically. And Jesus gets out of that as well. Last week, Pastor Brandon talked to us about what happened on Wednesday. So the trap is officially set. And it's set from inside his own people group. The Bible tells us that Satan enters into Judas. So Judas has an agreement with the religious leaders. And here's the plan. We are going to figure out a way to hand Jesus over privately. Everybody say privately. Why privately? Because if they do it publicly, there will be an uproar. Does that make sense? 
the people love Jesus. So now that I've got somebody from his inner circle, I can try to get him privately and in, in there not be near as much chaos. So everything we talk about today is on Thursday. Uh, we've got a lot of verses to cover, so we're only going to read a couple verses at the top. So will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're just going to read verses 14 and 15 to start it off, and this is how it reads. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table, and Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Uh, you may be seated. Here's what I want to talk about today. Um, I want to talk from the idea of I've waited for today. By turn to neighbor, say, I've waited for today. Let's pray. So, dearly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to, to gather, to dive into your word, and I pray that you would challenge us and step on our toes a little bit. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can you think of a day that like you were super excited about? Like maybe maybe you you got kids at home. How many parents are excited for school to start back? So your kids are, raise them up high. Don't be scared. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Holy hands up here. You know what I mean? Yeah, some of y'all are like, yeah, I'm ready for school to start. But like maybe you're a, a high school student. You're like thinking about the day that you graduate. You know what I mean? You're like super pumped. You're like college is the next step. Maybe you're a college student and you're like super excited about graduating so you can go and get that paper, figure out what life's really all about. You know what I mean? Stepping out that way. Um, maybe you were excited about the day that you had kids. You know what I mean? You know, that getting in that, you, I mean, you think about all the fun stuff that happens to that. Like you get to tell everybody with your Facebook post, and then everybody does the gender reveal. And then, come on, who doesn't like free stuff at baby showers? Like, let's be honest. You know what I mean? All of that pointing to the day that your kids was born was an exciting time. Maybe you're expecting and you're like, I'm in that season now. Well, we're excited with you. Um, maybe, maybe the day that you remember is your wedding day. For me, I was so excited for my wedding day. I proposed on my wife's 18th birthday. We were kind of, well, she was really young, apparently, uh, when we got engaged. And we were engaged for nine months. Now, my personal opinion, nine months is way too long. I heard a pastor say this one time. He said, you should only be engaged as long as it takes you to plan your wedding. I heard that three years too late. So we endured nine months and that was our engagement. But I remember um, all the fun stuff that comes with that, right? You get the venue, you get to, you get to, you know, find out who's going to officiate your wedding. You get to pick the colors. My wife's favorite color is red. I'm a grayscale guy. So anything white, gray, or black is like right up my alley. So we went with like charcoal gray and like red. I mean, we were looking good. You know what I'm saying? And then... Well, that's the only thing I picked out, actually. Yeah, my wife did all of the wedding planning, and I just said yes to everything that she wanted. Hey, do you like this? Yeah. Hey, should we do this or this? Yes. Oh, um, that one. You know what I mean? Like, I went, I went through that whole phase. I remember um, getting in trouble the day before my wedding. You know what I mean? You do, everybody does the rehearsal dinner. You do the, you know, practice the walk-in, the walk-out. You do the stuff with the preacher. And then we all went to the venue, and we were supposed to be putting on table decorations. Well, me and my groomsmen, we're not the people you want decorating anything. So we're there, and we're kind of like trying to make it match my wife's idea. And my dad knew that we were going to go hang out afterwards. So my dad goes, hey, son, y'all get, y'all get out of here. Y'all get out of here. My wife saw us leaving. She goes, where do you think you're going? I was like, well, we're not married yet, and the Bible tells me to honor my father and mother, so we got out of there, you know what I mean? Was it a bad choice? I don't know. I'm still married, so, I mean, <laughs> she said I do. But I remember when that day had got there. I remember waking up, like the, the anticipation, the excitement. 
that everything that we had planned for was finally coming to fruition. And even more, all the work we put into building a godly relationship was about to be sealed with our covenantal vows. I mean, like I remember being so excited and so ready for that day. And everything that Jesus has done in his life is getting us ready for Friday. Everything that he did was preparing us for what's about to happen tomorrow. Does that make sense with us being on Thursday? He tells them, he's like, man, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this moment, guys. I've been waiting for this moment. So we're going to go back to verse 7. We're going to work all the way through this. This is what verse 7 says. It says, now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John. Everybody say Peter and John. He sent them ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so that we can eat it together. Well, where do you want us to prepare it? He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house uh, at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up. This is where you should prepare our meal. Then he went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So there's two big events going on at the same time, right? Pastor Brandon told us about this. You have the Passover meal. The purpose of the Passover meal was to remind them to remember what God had did in Egypt, right? How he had got them out of slavery in Egypt. But then you have the festival of the unleavened bread. So this was basically, hey, we got out of Egypt so fast, we didn't have time to put leaven in our bread. What's interesting is both of these festivals combined point towards salvation. What's about to happen on Friday? When I'm telling you, when when you look at all the pieces that have to happen, like that is so cool how it all lines up. Now, Pastor Brandon told us this last week. He said, at this time, you have roughly 2.5 million people migrating in for this Passover meal, right? they're, They're migrating in for this season. So I learned that because of this, if you had a spare room, most people would prepare that room and furnish it so that if people were migrating in, they could do the Passover meal, right? So we know that that's going to have a play in this. So when they get there, Jesus sends in two disciples. He sends in Peter and he sends in John. Did you notice he didn't send in Judas? He sends in Peter, he sends in John. Why is it important that he didn't send in Judas? Because Judas's job is to turn Jesus over privately. They're going into an upper room, a room that's just going to be filled with with them, with them and their disciples. So that would be the perfect setting for Judas to turn Jesus over. So Jesus doesn't send Judas. He sends Peter and he sends John. And then he's like, hey, this is what I want you to look for. I want you to look for a man carrying a a water jar. If I'm Peter and John, I'm like, Jesus, there are 2.5 million people here at this place. You want me to find one dude with a water jar? For real? The truth is, is it actually would have been easy to notice because men didn't carry water jars in that culture. Women did. Think about the woman at the well, right? She was there midday getting water. She had a water jar. So for a man to carry a water jar would have been like, oh man, that's like, there he is. He's standing out. So they go up to this guy, they follow him. He leads them to their home and he says, hey, uh, the teacher wants us to do the Passover here. So they get everything set up. And then we'll pick up verse 14. He said, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I had been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which one of them would ever do such a thing. So meals are a big deal in the Bible right? Meals are a big deal now. Like with family, like, you know, sitting down with your family just creates this intimate moment. And that's what Jesus would use it for. But in the Old Testament, even there are times, like if you were to have a meal with your enemy, you were basically making a peace treaty. Like that's how powerful meals were. Jesus used meals to have intimate moments, teaching moments with his disciples, but also he used it to, to value uh, and, and involve outcasts, right? How many times does Jesus sit with tax collectors and sinners? right? That he got rid ridiculed all the time for that. So meals are a big deal. So Jesus and his disciples are sitting at this dinner table. And this is what he says, man, guys, I've waited for this, for this Passover, this specific one. I've waited for this moment with you. And we're about to see Jesus go into his like famous last words. Tomorrow is Friday. Jesus dies on the cross tomorrow. So I would propose that this is a time for us as readers to cue in, like to, to zone in. This is the last thing Jesus is going to tell his disciples. So let's build the scene. Like we've all seen the picture, right, of the 12 disciples. Here's what's going on. The Bible says that they were at the, the meal is spread out, that they were reclining at the table. That does not mean they brought their lazy boys, okay? What that means to recline at a table in that time means to lean on your left arm, but have your right hand available for food and for bread. So when they're reclining, they're leaning on their left arm. What's interesting is the seating arrangement, right? So you have Jesus, the positions to his right and the position to his left would be places of honor. So we know by reading the Bible that to his right was John because the Bible tells us that he was resting on Jesus's chest. Homeboy was just straight laying back. You know what I mean? Like reclining really far back, laying on Jesus's chest. What's interesting is who sat to his left, right? If John's to his right, it's easy for us to assume, well, Peter would be to his left or James would be to his left. Judas sat to his left. You're telling me that the one set to betray Jesus, the one who's already got the plan in the works, that's gonna give him up for money, Jesus let sit in a place of honor? I would propose that Jesus actually positioned him there. That Jesus positioned him there as a last chance effort for him to back out, to not follow through. But even still, even knowing what Judas was gonna do, Jesus stays on mission and lets him stay right there. So they start doing this Passover and Jesus does something really interesting with this Passover meal. This becomes the last Passover meal in the first communion. Jesus is going to use a meal. This was supposed to be a reminder, right? Can I, can I tell you something? We need to remember more. Do you know reminding, like re remembering is like a key part of faith? In the Old Testament, he tells them to set up altars so that why? When your kids ask you, which implies people like our kids are going to ask us about our faith. 
But I remember when they crossed the Jordan, he says, hey, go, go, go grab 12 stones, set up an altar. And when your kids look at these stones, they're going to ask you, hey, what happened here? And you tell them, hey, the Lord dried up the river so we could walk through on dry ground. We've said this in, in youth before is uh, uh, remembering our victories yesterday gives us faith for, to, to, for today's battles. When you remember what God did in the past, it gives you faith to walk out the future. When you remember that God has been with you, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He goes, man, we were, uh, we were at this point where we were ready to die. Like it was so bad that it was beyond what we could handle. He said, but this is what I held on to, that God has moved, God will move, God will do it again. He has, I remember, he will, I have faith, and he will do it again. I'm always gonna believe in him. Listen, if we need to remember how God has come through for us in our past, all of us have a story, right? What ends up happening is because we forget, Satan just keeps replaying the same thing and we panic, panic, panic. And if we would just remember, we'd be like, nah, God got me through it the last time. He's gonna get me through it again. Isn't that what faith is? Isn't that, isn't that what it is? It's like trusting in God. So Jesus takes this meal that was supposed to be a reminder of God's deliverance of their people from Egypt to establish a new covenant. So this is what he does. We've heard this a, a, a lot. He takes the bread, he breaks it. He says, hey guys, this is my body. They don't know yet because Friday hasn't happened. But it's symbolic that Jesus is gonna be broken. He's gonna be pierced. He's gonna be spit on. He's gonna be mocked. He says, hey guys, I want you to, when you do this, when you eat this, this is my body that was broken for you. Um, and every time you do this, I want you to remember I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Then the Bible says he takes another cup of wine. The reason it says another is in a Passover meal, there were four cups of wine. So this is one of the latter ones. He says, hey guys, uh, <clears throat> this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. And it's an arrangement that's gonna be confirmed by my blood, which is gonna be given up to you. Now imagine, Friday hasn't happened yet. It doesn't make sense. Both of these things point to Friday. But he said this, right? He said, do this in remembrance of me, right? You see, communion should point us backwards to remember, but forwards towards hope and anticipation. Communion should take us backwards to remember, but forwards towards hope and anticipation. Like, let, let me be real. When is the last time, like, you sat down and, like, consciously thought about what Jesus did for you? Like, like go into the details, I mean, we can, like, we can say Jesus died for me. No, no, no. Jesus didn't just die. Jesus was, was falsely accused. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was pierced. Jesus was broken. He was spit on. He was mocked. He died the most embarrassing death that you could die in that time period. Why? Because God so loved the world. You understand that's God's motive for sending Jesus, right? Because God so loved the world. He sent his son because God so loved the world. Jesus endured, right? He, he, he came and he went through all of that because of the father's love. At camp, our students were reminded of this and it immediately brought them to tears. They were reminded of what Jesus did for them, like the specifics, and it brought them, the craziest part about it was that was probably the most powerful night we had at camp. We get into this room and they start saying like, listen, I want Jesus with all I got. This is my sin that I'm confessing. Like nobody told them to confess their sins. We were just gonna talk about, hey, what did you get from tonight? I want God with all that I have, and this is the thing that's keeping me from being close to him. 
And then the next person's like, listen, I want God with all that I have. And I have the same struggle. And I'm so glad to know, like, I can give it to God and that I'm not alone. You mean, like, you're not alone with your struggles? But it's realizing, like, going back to this moment, thinking about what Jesus did that might reframe the fact, like, hey, Jesus went through a lot so we could be right with God. But it also should point us forwards. Right? When you look at the world, does it look like the kingdom of God? No, if you read the news, it looks like things are crazy, right? Rumors of, well, apparently there's aliens out there now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just looks crazy. I remember talking to my little brother, and he had just gotten married. And he's like, man, I don't know if I want to have kids. He's like, why, dude? He's like, because I don't know if I want to raise them in this world. You know, at the end of the story, we win. It doesn't matter how crazy the world gets. The, same, the, the end is the same for us. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is every once in a while, I'll go read the last chapter in the Bible, the last chapter in the book of Revelations. And I'm, and it, I, I, man, I tear up seeing and being reminded that Jesus is coming back. Church, Jesus is coming back for you. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus is coming back for you. So this morning, I just want to remind you that Jesus died for you so that you could be right with God. And that God loves you, but also he's coming back. He's coming back for you. The scene continues in verse 24. It says, they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, or yeah, Jesus told them in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it'll be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table, or the one who serves. The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You've stayed with me in my time of trial and just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so I think the Bible's hilarious. Okay, there's this really funny scene and you're like, Matt, he just talked about the Last Supper. Like, it's not, mm, don't joke. No, at the end of that text, it says that they were trying to figure out who was gonna betray Jesus. Peter, is it you? No. John, is it you? No. Thomas is like, I don't think it's anybody on this side of the room. You know what I mean? Like, they're trying to figure out who's gonna betray Jesus. So they're, they're searching, they're searching. And all of a sudden, this conversation turns into who's the greatest disciple? Hey, are you going to betray him? No, I ain't going to betray him. I'm the greatest one. I walked on water, John. All you did was lay on Jesus' chest. You know what I mean? Like, I'm great. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's how the conversation turns. It went from, like, hey, focusing on who's going to betray Jesus to who's the greatest. And so Jesus does something awesome. He takes this and turns it into this teaching opportunity. And he says, hey, you know, um, kings and, and, um, and people with uh, great men, which is basically people with authority, he says, they like to lord their authority over people, right? They like to let people know how important they are. Has that changed? <laughs> no. He says, but with you, it's going to be different. He says, you want to be great? You take the lowest spot. You want to be a leader? You serve. Here's what's interesting to me. Jesus didn't rebuke greatness. He redefined it. Jesus didn't rebuke great. Listen, you're not going to find a Bible verse that doesn't say don't desire to be great. He does tell you don't desire to be great in the world's definition of it. 
But you are called to be great, like in serving people. You want to be the greatest? You want to make an impact? Serve and love People, like even today, we argue over who's the best athlete, who's got the best stats, who's got the the most power, who's got the highest position, who gets paid the most. You know what's interesting to me? In, in, In school situations, it's about who's most popular, who's got the most likes, who's got the most followers. Oftentimes, to get to that spot, we have to step on and over people to get there. Do you know what God, the most valuable resource in the kingdom of God is? People. God so loved the world, who who did he die for? People. It's not money. Money's asphalt in the kingdom. You walk on it. When's the last time you walked on the street? You're like, oh, that's that's precious. Mm -mm." No, nobody does that because it's asphalt. It's under our feet. The most precious thing to God is people. And oftentimes we crush people to get to where we want. You are not going to find that in, 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 in the kingdom. It's not supposed to be that way. We want to tell people how important we are. We want to show them how much money we make with subtle flexes. I remember one time my dream truck was a Toyota Tacoma. And when we lived in Panhandle, we, we could finally get one, right? I got that Toyota Tacoma and I wanted to drive it everywhere that we went. Not because it was a nice truck, but because I wanted people to see I had a Toyota Tacoma. But we do that all the time, don't we? With our uh, shoes, with, uh, with the stuff that we have, with the stuff that's in our backyard, with how big our houses are, with our bank accounts. I mean, throw it out there, watches. We like all these subtle flexes. Subtle flexes. We like to let people know how much, better than the, uh, how much better we are than they are. But Jesus flips the script. He says, man, do you want to be great in my kingdom? Well, the greatest in my kingdom are the best servants. You know what I mean? They don't lead by demanding. They don't lead by crushing. They don't lead by insulting. They don't lead by stepping on. They lead by serving. Listen, in God's kingdom, it's not yelling at people from up top. It's coming up underneath them and lifting them up. That's what it means to be a leader. That's what it means to be great. Does anybody remember what Jesus did at the Last Supper? You remember he cleaned the disciples' feet, right? Did you know that was the position of the lowest slave in the house? So you're telling me that the king of kings the creator of the universe, the one who established the stars and calls them by name, took the position of the lowest slave in the house and did the dirtiest job. You know what he says? Go and do likewise. In fact, John says this. He says, now that you know, everybody say no. Now that it's been taught, now that you've heard, now that you comprehend, and now that you've seen, go do it. And then it says, God will bless you for doing it. Go and do it. And God will, God will bless you. I'll tell you where I think we've kind of messed up in the past is we've talked about service and we only assume serving happens in the church. So maybe you're here like, Matt, I don't like, I don't have gifts. Like I can't play guitar. I can't talk. It's like, no, 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 no. You want to learn a place to serve? Serve at home. Husbands, Bible tells us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That means that we're supposed to sacrifice for them. You want to start to find a place to serve? If you won't serve at home, you're not going to serve anywhere else. Serve at home, serve your wife, serve your kids. You want to raise up a generation that is humble? Let them see service at home and that's where they'll carry. They'll pick it up there. You mean, but if it doesn't start at home, it's not going to go anywhere else. Everybody has a place to serve. If you're a business owner, serve your staff. You want them to feel safe, feel valued. Serve you. I love reading leadership books. Leadership books are my favorite thing, whether they're Christian or non-Christian. And one of my favorite leadership books that I've read is called Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. I don't know if he's a Christian, 
He didn't quote Bible verses in the book. But the whole theme behind it is that servant leadership is the best leadership. Listen, you are called to be leaders. You are called to be leaders, which means you are called to serve. You're called, you're called, oh, you're called to serve. I heard a pastor say this one time. He said, if you're too big to do little things, you're too small for the big things. If you're too big to serve your family, then you're too small for God to use you in big ways. If you're too big to stack chairs, you're too small to, to do anything else. Serve. You're called to serve. You're called to lead through service. Jesus sets this example by doing the same thing. He served those that would betray them. He served those that would deny him, and he served those that would, uh, that would doubt him. It didn't stop him. What does that mean? Um, serve without conditions. I'm only, don't, if you have to, if somebody has to do something in order for you to do something for them, that's not service. That's just re reciprocation. Like always look for people that you can serve. Verse 31, the, the conversation is going to shift a little bit. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you. Simon, that your faith should not fail. When you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. So the conversation shifts, right? He's teaching all of them. They've been arguing about who's the greatest. Then he turns to Peter. He's like, hey, Peter, um, Satan is asking to, to, to sift you guys when this happens. What does that mean? Uh, sifting is when you separate grain from the wheat. Basically, you're separating the good from the bad or the edible from the unedible, right? So here, here's what he's saying. Hey, uh, Satan is, is looking to see which one of you guys is going to fall off because of what's about to happen to me. Which one of you guys is going to be like, well, on Saturday, I guess he's not who he says he is because he's not back. Or if, if he's the Messiah, how could he be dead? How many... How many of you understand that Satan tries to sift us too? Most of the time in tragedy, right? In tragedy, like I've seen it where it's like, come on, if God is so good, then like, how could this happen? If God is so good, then why is my marriage right? If God is so good, then why is this? Why is this? Why, it, you know, when, when newborns don't make it, God, if God's loved us, then why does that happen? Anybody ever been in a situation like that? Where you've been sifted? And it's Satan saying, like, he's, he's coming at you with your hard moments. He's saying, hey, will you lay down your faith? Come on, if God is so good, then would he have let that happen? You know what I mean? Are you going to put God on trial? If I was you, I'd put God on trial. Nobody sifts God when you get a promotion, right? God, oh, I got a raise. I don't know if I can believe in you. No. Satan comes at us, tries to get us to question our faith in the hardest times, the most challenging times of our life. But what I love is we have the same thing working for us that Peter did. Because Jesus tells him, he says, hey, 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 when you come back, how did Jesus know that he's going to come back? I mean, how did, how did Jesus know that Peter was going to turn back to him? How did he know he's going to repent and come back? I think the answer to that should give us confidence. Because Jesus tells him this, he says, hey, man, I've prayed for you. Can I tell you something? Jesus is praying for you, church. You know where Jesus is? He's not in your heart. 
The Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. The Hebrews tells us we have such a great high priest. The, the role of the high priest was to represent the people to God. So in heaven, you have Jesus praying for you by name through your victories and through your struggles. Your marriage is in a wreck. Jesus is like, God, hey, um, can you be with them? Like, I know this is a tough time for them, but give them the strength. Give them the wisdom to serve each other, to apologize, to do this. God, can you just bless them and give them joy and give them strength, God? That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's interceding. He is praying for you. And he does this. He does that with Peter. He's like, listen, Satan is asking if you're going to give up your faith. But Peter, I've prayed for you. Doesn't it make a difference in our life when we know that people care when we're struggling? First Peter, he writes, he says, hey, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Everything that makes you anxious, give it to God. Not set it down next to you, give it away. Why? Because he cares. Because he cares. Listen, that struggle that you're in, God cares. And Jesus sees it, and he's praying for you. He's praying for you. The follow-up is what we need to do. He says, hey, when you've repented, here's what I want you to do. Go and strengthen your brothers. Listen, after we make it through our trial, it's our job to go and strengthen our brothers. You hear me? I think one of the most underutilized tools in the church is testimony. What does that mean? Each and every one of us have a story of how God showed up, either in our addiction, in our pain, in our struggle. And the only reason we are where we are is because God showed up. And, and somebody in the church, in your community, in our town needs to hear your story because they're stuck in that, they're stuck in that same hole and they don't feel like they have hope. They don't feel like there's a way out, but God. But God, how do we strengthen our brothers? You share how God got you through this week. You share how God broke that addiction. You share how God showed up in your life and you are where you are because he's there. You share, I mean, look at, the, look at the Bible. What is the Bible? A bunch of stories, real life stories that tell us how God has shown up. And we look at it every week and find life in its words because it's a book of testimonies. And he's telling Peter, listen, go and strengthen your brothers. Go and strengthen your brothers. He continues in verse 35. Jesus says, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied, but now. Everybody say, but now. That means something's changing. He said, take your money in a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied. We have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. So in the past, this is referring to when he sent the disciples out and later when he sends out the 70, right? And he tells them, hey, don't take money. Don't take a bag. Here's what I want you to do. You're going to trust on God's provision through the people that you come across, right? So they go and they preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. If, they, if people say no, he tells them to wipe the dust off their sandals. And that basically means, hey, I'm going to leave you to your decision, 
right? Your decision is not my responsibility. I'm going to leave you to your decision. So he sent them out in this time or the first time with nothing. But he's letting them know it's going to be different now. He tells them, hey, take a bag, take money, and grab a sword. If I'm a disciple, I'm like, Jesus, what's going on? Like, you sent us out the first time like this. Why Why are things, like, what's different? And everything's about to change. You know, from our perspective, we see that the people who praise them on Sunday will be yelling, crucify him tomorrow. And Jesus is letting them know, hey, the people in the past that took care of you are going to be the ones pursuing you after this is all done. You see this in the book of Acts. So he's telling him, hey, you guys are about to go into a time of opposition, of heavy opposition, in a time of persecution. And I don't think we're in much of a different spot. You know, I asked you earlier, does the world outside look like the kingdom of God? No, it's drifting further and further away. We're more confused as a society than we've ever been with gender and sexuality. If you disagree with it, they call you a bigot. Or they attack, oh, you're just religious. Get your religion off me. Our kids are struggling more and more than they ever have. Depression, anxiety, addiction. When I started in youth ministry in 2012, the average age of a, of a student being addicted to porn was nine years old. 2012. It's younger. You want me to tell you why? Listen, you can act and pretend like your kids don't look at it. All you're doing is burying your heads in the sand. The devil wants to destroy that. He wants to remove, mm, you know what the danger of porn is? This is a whole side note. The danger of porn is you start to view people for what they can do for you instead of as people. And if our kids can start to view people for what they can do for them and instead of people, they won't learn to love people the way that God's taught them to. It's crazy out there, right? It's like we, we got to walk on eggshells because we don't know who we're going to offend or who we're going to make mad. I remember when I started following Jesus, um, I got saved as a sophomore in high school and I started carrying this pocket Bible with me. And if I had some free time, I'd read it. It was in my back pocket. I had friends say, hey, why you got that Bible in your pocket? It's like, what? I, you know, I'm following Jesus, man. I want to I learn more about him. And the more I started following, the more friends I lost. Has anybody ever lost a relationship, a friendship because of your faith? Come on, listen, we're all in it. We've all been there. There was a verse that I held on to, and it was in Matthew chapter five, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and just to sum up the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it's about. It's about how to live as a kingdom citizen. Jesus has been telling them about this kingdom, and he tells them, this is how you live. This is where you find that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world. And this is what he says at the end of the Beatitudes. He says, God blesses you. Okay, when um, God blesses you when people mock you. Anybody ever been mocked? God blesses you when people persecute you. God blesses you when, when people lie about you. Anybody had a rumor started about them? God blesses you when people say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Look at this. This blows my mind. Be happy about it. Be very... Come on, Jesus. 
Why would I be happy about people persecuting me? Why would I be happy about them spreading rumors or saying all sorts of evil things? It makes me think about like the book of James. Hey, consider it pure joy when you go through hard stuff. No. I mean, there's a reason for it, but like initially when I go through something hard, I'm not like, oh, so good. Somebody starts a rumor about you. You're not like, ah, say it again. You know what I mean? We don't do that. We don't. We're like, God, end it. Stop it. Make it make it go away. God blesses you. Be happy about it. Be very glad. Well, why? For a great reward awaits you in heaven. For church, there's an award for a reward for you in heaven. We go through the sufferings today so that we can celebrate tomorrow in heaven with God. Does that make sense? Romans tells us that the, the sufferings that we go through today are nothing compared to the glory that's to come. A reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were per, uh, persecuted in the same way. Here's what I would tell you today. Stay the path. Stay, stay the path. Jesus never said, hey, following me is going to be rainbows and sunshines, man. It's going to be great. Never going to get sick, going to prosper. <laughs> no, that's not how it went. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, it's going to be hard because you follow me. But I think we stopped there. Because after that, he says this, take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Can I tell you something? This is the exact reason why church matters. Why gathering together matters. Because when we gather together, we're supposed to encourage each other. When we gather together, we're supposed to pray for each other. Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't stop gathering. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, don't stop gathering. The Bible tells us to not stop gathering. When we stop gathering, we're going against the Bible, just to throw that out there. But it says, don't stop gathering as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to encourage each other on to good works. To encourage you. Listen, this is what they're going through. In Hebrews chapter 10, they're being beaten for their faith. Publicly, drug out in the road and being beaten. They're being robbed. Their houses are being robbed because they believe in Jesus. They're being put in coliseums and being mauled by lions because they believe in Jesus. It would be easy to stay home if that was going on, right? Come on, our natural inclination is like, I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want none of that. But he tells them, no, you've got to gather. Here's why. To encourage each other on. To encourage each other to finish the race. To stay the path. To walk this out. That's what we're supposed to do. When we gather, it's to encourage one another. Especially because Jesus tells us about this change. Life is going to get tough. But the way that we make it is by encouraging each other. Listen, I know it's been tough. I know it's been hard, but God is with you. And I'm praying for you. I'm with you too. Man, how can I come alongside you? Oh, your marriage is... 
is erect, man, how can I pray? How can I come alongside you? How can I, let's meet, let's get coffee. Let me, let me just hear what's going on. Let me speak some life into you. you. That's how church is supposed to work. It's not this like gather on Sunday, check a box, go home and see what happens. No, it's like we get here, we come here, we worship together and encourage each other on. Why? Because together we're the body of Christ. Together we're the body of Christ. So Jesus tells them about this shift, this change. It's going to be tough. But out of, out of all the scripture that we looked at today, it's not the most important one that we need to focus on. The most important shift or change was revealed at the Last Supper. It was the change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Listen, it was the change from trying to be right with God based on what we do to believing in Jesus and us being right with God because we believe in Jesus, right? That's what's going on. Jesus is about to, to establish this new covenant where our standing with God is not based on what we do. That should take a weight off of our shoulders. Listen, you can never do enough to be right with God in your own strength. It's not do better, try harder. If you've been running away from God and your thought is like, well, I've got to clean myself up. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. But that's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. And he came and he lived this perfect life, died the death that we deserve, rose again, defeated sin and death. And the Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. What does that mean? Our standing with God is, is perfect. We are made righteous because we believe in Jesus, not because of anything that we did. And maybe, maybe today's that day that you make that decision. If that's you, man, we encourage you to fill out that connect card right in front of you because we want to celebrate with you. How many of you know that heaven goes crazy if just one person says yes to Jesus? Can I just tell you something? If heaven's going crazy, I think the church should too. You know what I mean? The day that we stop celebrating salvations and baptism, we are in a rough spot. But if that's you, we want to celebrate with you because it's a big deal. Your eternity has changed. Going back to the Last Supper, the, the Gospel Co Coalition released this quote, and I thought it was amazing. It said, during this Last Supper, Jesus sets apart the Passover bread and cup and reassigns, or better, perfects their meaning. The bread is his body, the cup his blood. This meal will no longer remind them of God's deliverance primarily from the external tyranny of Pharaoh, but from the internal tyranny of their own guilt and sin against God. You see, the original Passover was to remember what God did in Egypt, but taking communion is to remind us of what Jesus did on the cross. Humanity's greatest deliverance was never from a king or a pharaoh. Humanity's greatest deliverance was from our greatest oppressor, sin and death. That's what the Last Supper or, or communion, that's what communion reminds us of, is that Jesus defeated sin and death so we could be right with God. Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you so much for what you've done. God, we thank you for your goodness. 
God, and I thank you that the meal has a new meaning. I pray that every time that we take communion, God, that we would remember everything that you've done, not just what you've done on the cross, but like our personal testimonies, all the ways that you've showed up in our personal lives, how you've been there. God, I pray that we would remember that your word says that you're interceding for us, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us. But I pray that we would look forward, that every time we take communion, we would remember, hey, you're coming back. You're coming back and you've given us a mission to go serve and to love people and to share your word. God, we love you. We thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Since we talked about communion, we're going to take it. Um, And I'll kind of explain it and I'll kind of, talking in, but we're going to, there's communion is set up in the back and we're going to go up this row over here and this row right here. No, you're going to go as you feel led, as you feel the Holy Spirit lead you. That's when you go and take communion. I just want to remind you, Jesus said this. He said, this is my body. When you take the bread, this is my body, which was broken for you. Take a moment and, and, and think about that. And then he takes the cup and he says, Hey, this cup is the new covenant and it was established by my blood that Jesus gave his life so that we could have right standing with God. Remember, you guys take communion as, as you feel led.